Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. Today, we talk with our buddy, Terry Battisti. Terry has a long background in bass fishing as both an angler and a writer for a bunch of major publications. Most recently, he's best known for his bass fishing history website, bassarchives.com. We talk about old technology that was supposed to be great and changed the game of fishing, just kind of faded out. We talk about the history of the roll cast. We talk about uh, Aaron Martins. He's got some great tributes to Aaron on his website and uh, just had a great time quizzing him on stuff in general. So I think you guys will enjoy this episode and the talk with Terry. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. I think we've got a really cool episode in store for everybody today. We've got an awesome guest, uh, Terry Battisti from Bass Fishing Archives. He's got an awesome website. Um, we've had him on before, and uh, we'll dive all into that later. But um, I personally, you know, was really entertained by his stories and um, some of his knowledge in the interview. But before we roll it over to him, let's uh, let's do what we always do: check in with the guys, see what's going on. Um, Nick, let's start with you this week, man. What uh, What's up your way, dude? Yeah, man. Coming off of the uh, Charmin-sponsored episode that we had last week, I'm <laughs> pleased to report that everyone kept the necessary fluids inside of their body for Congrats. the last God seven days. So it's pretty – I mean, that's like headline news in this household. You uh, you can't take that stuff too lightly after what we went through. But uh, I went in and showed uh, Chantel the recording – just so I could show her Rob's grossed out face throughout your whole story. It was hilarious. Dude, yeah. Rob, you changed dirty diapers in your career, right? Yep. I'm over that. Ah, you got grandkids coming. Well, and you've no, already I'm... went through a few of them, but I can't wait to see. You don't you back change grandkids' diapers. That's not that's dude, that's part of the rule. Wow. You do not do that. Damn. Maybe maybe grandmothers do, but grandfathers don't. Whoa, all right. Well, sorry, Boyd. I'm, I think he still listens to us occasionally. I apologize for you, man. Sounds like your yeah. grand, your dad's going to let you down. No, it's just when you <laughs> hand him off. <laughs> and Boyd's a long ways from that, by the way, I hope. <laughs> I don't know. There you go. Putting that yeah. out in the universe. And yeah. three, <laughs> two, one. Don't ever, don't ever tempt it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, man, it's been a pretty good week over here. I, uh, I continue to, I think I'm going to have to take a position on like, a different podcast where they talk about backgammon or something for how infrequently I've been fishing. Um, I saw, I saw Josh, you probably talked about this, but I saw you were doing your best old man in the sea impersonation this week on Roosevelt and the wind. And, uh, it was funny, you know, that day, cause it was blowing. What was that Friday? When it were, was yeah, 30 dude, it was ripping in town. Yeah. And so I even had the thought, I was like, damn, well, and it was pretty cold. So I wonder anyone who's on a lake right now, here in the valley in January with that kind of wind, I bet the bite is awesome. So I wish them luck as they try and survive that. So that's it, man. Otherwise, just been just been kind of doing the thing, busy with work again. It's weird how that ebb and flow is. So I'm just you know trying to navigate overflowing septic tanks. I uh, negotiated an entire contract to close in Spanish with some people wow. that didn't speak any English. So you could imagine how well that didn't go. It's funny trying to explain. <laughs> these concepts and basically all i can say is where's the bus station what are they biting on and how's the carne asada but we survived that <laughs> nice nice man yeah it does sound like a busy week that's cool so yeah nothing too exciting man but Good. i saw rob i saw a pretty sweet uh, video of boyd throwing some heat that's exciting yeah that it was is. his first bullpen he's uh 
I think he's throwing one sense in. He feels great. So he's his re, his Tommy John recovery is going well. Um, today we're going to uh, ASU has the open house. There, it's it's such a different vibe there with the new coaches and stuff. I guess they had like 300 people. Um, I think it was yesterday or the day before at their golf, uh, golf fundraising tournament. Um, and just the vibe is unbelievable. I guess there's going to be a hundred alumni at the alumni game today. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. So that's looking, cool. Man. Looking forward to the season starting here and, I think the weekend of the 18th, I believe, is when it starts. So. Okay. When he, like, is just getting started throwing again, did they tell – like, when he did his first bullpen, did they say 75% effort, don't push uh, it? Or yeah, I don't know exactly go? what the percentage was. But yeah, absolutely, yeah, they, that was – And they give him a percentage like that and just – Yeah, just throw 50% or 60%, whatever. I mean, how do you, how do you factor that in? But <laughs> yeah. whatever it is. But basically, you're not throwing 100% at this point. But um, it's – he goes, I haven't had a bullpen where I wasn't miserably sore the next day in four nice. years. So, so he didn't feel good. That's great. Yeah, man. now he's feeling good, which is so exciting for me. So I'm just – I'm excited that he's able to experience his uh, – hopefully his last season at ASU with the new vibe there and all the – they've sold more season tickets this year than they have in the past 15 years. No kidding. So it's going to be – it's going to be a lot of fun this year. So oh, Cool. So Thank that you. that's going on. And then I've uh, – any of my spare time, I've been working on my boat, just trying to get it up to speed. I've got uh, majority of my electronics here, um, and I'm trying to do a bunch of it myself. My buddy Blaine's going to help a little bit, or quite a bit actually. He's uh, he's the knowledge behind it. I'm the I'm just doing the grunt work and trying to get it uh, up to speed. So hopefully by the middle of next week, that thing will be back going and strong and be like a new boat. So can't wait to see it. Heck yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. So I've, it's amazing. I've, um, yeah, I'll talk more about it when we have Blaine on just okay. the process of, of what I'm going through to take an older boat into, um, 2022. So it's, That's awesome. they're, they're a lot different in 2008 from what they are nowadays, <laughs> you know? So I think that'll make actually some pretty interesting material. So we will, we'll save that and we'll yeah. do kind of an episode about, rigging boats and and uh also just kind of yeah remodeling your boat it'll be yeah, kind of the restoration of an older boat i mean it's not like it wasn't functional but it's you know i'm just bringing it up to speed and i think i mean the the condition that the boat's in it it might not look that great as far as you know scratches and scuffs and stuff but it's i mean there's not a crack in the hole it's the hole is perfect as far as structural so um it's the perfect boat to dump some money into it and make seriously it. new trailer you yeah. know uh yeah. and it's gonna have all all brand new guts in it man yeah my weak point right now is gonna be the outboard but i'm uh, hoping to get that thing up i mean obviously it runs but it's you know an outboard it's like concrete just give it time it's gonna crack at some point so <laughs> nice well yeah knock on wood it runs a lot longer but yeah it's cool yeah. can't wait to see it and it'll be right in time for good fishing i mean the fishing yep. out here in arizona has been it's been one of the toughest januaries i really can ever remember and what's crazy is we haven't had really volatile weather it's been pretty consistent weather but the fishing on all of our lakes is uh has been suffering a little bit um I, I did my last day of fishing here before i start traveling i'm actually leaving tomorrow to go to louisiana and February, I've got three tournaments in February, so super busy month. But uh, 
I haven't been fishing much. I've been doing so much prep work to get ready to leave. I had one, I had donated a trip um, for charity at a, at a tournament like a year ago. And, and the folks that had won it um, had wanted to cash it in. And, uh, you know, I totally, uh, I'm glad we got to go. I'm glad we got to do it before I left, but I wish we could have done it a month or two ago when fishing was good. Um, Cause it was just, it was tough fishing. And we, the one day that we could go was that 25, 30 mile an hour wind all day. I mean, it was when I woke up in the morning, it was ripping in town and I'm like, great, you know, here we go. And I looked at wind finder and it looked like it was a little calmer up at the lake, which it actually was. I got to the lake and it was calm. And I was like, man, maybe it'll hold out. And 10 minutes into the, into the, we launched the boat and it was calm and 10 minutes in it was blowing 25 and uh, it just blew all day. So one of those days um, had a great time with, uh, with the two guys I fished with Ed and his son Lincoln, but it was just a windy, windy, nasty, tough day. We were literally the only boats on the lake. I mean, all day long, the only boats on the lake. So uh, that, and that says it all right there. But um, we caught one fish and uh, Arizona sent me off to the season um, very nicely. Very kindly. <laughs> yeah, very humbled. Go ahead, Nick. I was just going to say, so I mean, it's a guide trip, so it depends a lot on the client's abilities and these guys signed there probably fishermen so it was that but i mean dude january here and it's that windy like do you just do you, what do you even like how do you even approach something like that do you like windblown banks with reaction stuff even though it's cold or well that's your only choice <laughs> right so like yeah, literally, i told these yeah. guys i was like well our two if, if it was calm that we we could have fished deep structure offshore or or fished reaction up shallow you know and when it started blowing i was like we can't even fish deep guys like i'd love to slow down and throw jigs and drop shots right now but it's not even a choice so we are um and it was it was it was windy to the point where you couldn't fish like main lake stuff you actually had to fish protected stuff but it was still wind blown you know it's <laughs> one of those days that like you go back into a bay or behind a you know behind some type of protection and it's still breezy around and windy so uh it was it's that's good for the reaction bite but that was really your only your only choice and i mean we pretty much cranked in through jerk baits all day and um it's all it's really all yeah. you could do um and typically like under normal circumstances on that lake that still is gonna you're still gonna put 10 20 fish in the boat on that lake even when it's tough and it just was one of those tough this month has just been miserable out there. You know, even in good conditions, guys are going out there and barely, you know, luck getting lucky to catch a limit. Uh, it'll turn around real quick, but yeah. it's just been a miserable month up there for some reason. So knock on wood, it turns around soon for the guys that are fishing out here. I it think, will. I think those fish probably just, you know, a lot of their major holdings are in crypto. And uh, now that their net worth has plummeted like 85% due to the crypto crash, they're just nauseous. They're not hungry. That must be it, dude. That must be it. I like your excuses. Me too. I love it. Well, hey, that's cool. <laughs> um, you know, we've been sitting down to, to be totally uh, honest with listeners. We've already been sitting down here for a couple hours after interviewing Terry and stuff like that. So uh, with that, you know, we all have a fairly slow week going on here at home, but um, I think we're about ready to send it over to him. Anything else from you guys before we do so? No, let's just go to the the best part of this episode, and uh, it, it's Terry, man. He he delivers again, and uh, history is just cool. 
and uh, he's he's the guy for it. So it's fun to talk with him and just realize that uh, I don't know, like just how much is uh, so much is new, but then so much is actually just a repeat of fifty years ago. So it's very pretty cool. Point. It's going to blow your mind. Yep, <laughs> that's the truth. It's very funny to see that. So yeah, here's uh, Terry Battisti from BassArchives.com. Hope you guys enjoy. All right, everybody. We talked about Terry in the in the uh, intro, and uh, we are happy to have him back. Um, it's not quite so bright and early your way, dude, but it is. Uh, it is still. You still look like you're getting your day started. Get a cup of coffee. What is going on your way? Uh, it's a typical, uh, I believe, East Tennessee winter morning. It's about uh, 18 degrees outside. Definitely uh, frost on the pumpkin. My uh, gosh, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really cold like that's colder than normal are you guys getting a blast right now uh it's pretty typical um you know i i this is my first real winter in in, in uh the oak ridge in the east tennessee area so i'm still kind of feeling out what the the weather patterns are but uh living in uh in uh fanfield north carolina for as long as i did yeah you usually get about you know two or three weeks of of weather where it doesn't get above much 30 degrees or you know 40 degrees or something like that so yeah it's pretty normal. wow that's crazy it's, it's funny you know last week <clears throat> we uh, made a comment and we talked a little while about uh pre-spawn and uh we knew we were gonna get some some chain jerking from uh listeners and one guy i sent the screenshot to josh and rob our buddy josh woodward in Demone, iowa sent us a screenshot of the weather app on his phone and those fish are definitely getting ready to move up. You know, it was like negative five was what his uh, forecast said. So I'm pretty sure those fish are pretty much all transitioned. Now they're, they're in the back of the creeks. They're getting ready to you know, spawn and move on out. So it sounds like Tennessee's on the same pattern. Yeah. You know, or you get the guys in Florida, you know, that that's pre-spawn happens in December. Yeah. They're already on post-spawn, right? They're back. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Nick, not, not to nitpick, but it was minus 21. Oh, yeah, I, I need some of Terry's coffee. Yeah, I mean, I mean what's, what's a 15-degree swing amongst friends when you're already with a negative sign, right? That's a good exactly. point. Yeah, is there a difference between negative 5 and negative 20 realistically? Like, can you feel that difference? Probably not, huh? Is there a oh, difference? Yeah, absolutely you can. So I really? lived in Idaho. You know I lived in Idaho for 20 years. There's a huge difference between, uh, you know, zero and negative 20. Really? Giant, giant difference. I mean – so people in in Idaho, when it gets to be spring and it goes from those like negative ten to thirty degrees, think about that. That's a forty degree swing in temperature. Sure. That's shorts and t-shirt weather. <laughs> that's absolutely right. My daughter would start wearing shorts when it was thirty five degrees after it being zero and negative, you know, below that for a month. Terry, yeah. I grew up in I grew up in southwestern Minnesota. I did a paper out every day, so. Yeah, I know you, exactly you know what you're cold talking cold. about. Mm -hmm. Riding my bicycle in shorts and t-shirt in slushy snow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're not that around. tough anymore. Real yeah. men. <laughs> yep. Yep. Rob, uh, you were riding your bike throwing newspapers at people's front porch? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Their news didn't come via Apple. It wasn't just like an alert no. on their no. phone. And, huh. and then I mowed their lawns in the summer. So. Wow. A bunch of them, not all of them, obviously, but Dude, a little that, he was, you know, delivering, you know, news that was pounded out off of, you know, stone tablets. On a clay oh, tablet. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I only broke a few windows. <laughs> that's where Boyd gets it. Good to know. Yep. Well, that's good. What, uh, what's up? Uh, what's new with the website, Terry? 
You've been putting a lot of stuff out lately. Yeah, we've been doing uh, pretty much a, a, a story a day um, for about the last month. We're uh, it's Monday or Sunday through Wednesday is a is a feature, a full blown feature. Uh, Thursdays throwback Thursday. Brian throws something short out there. Um, usually some sort of a picture that he's dug out of some newspaper. Uh, for, same thing for Friday. Saturday's a video drop on the YouTube channel. Uh, and then it starts all over again on Sunday. Dude, what a content factory. And and yeah. we talked about it a little bit in the intro, but Terry's website is uh, it's Bass Fishing Archives. It's bass-archives.com. Uh, hyphen. Uh, and yeah. uh, how long have you been doing it, man? Ten years now? It kind of You did it re- uh, for a while, and then um, yeah, I mean, you're yeah. back heavy now. Yeah, it uh, started in 2012. I had to take it offline in 2015 for work reasons. And uh, I started it back up literally a year ago uh, right now. Um, and uh, we're hooked up with the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame. Uh, and you can read some of the stuff that, that, that we're doing on that website. Essentially, it's, it's a feed that goes from our site to their site. Um, and uh, so if you find yourself at the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame website, uh, you can, you'll see that we're there anyway. That's cool. Uh, yeah, it, 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 we went through and redid the site completely, uh, back in December, actually it started in October, uh, with a, a, a new, uh, software theme and we relaunched it in the middle of December. So it's a heck of a lot more easy to navigate now. Uh, and it's a heck of a lot better with, with mobile units. Cause I was looking at all of the analytics 70% of everybody that goes to the website is doing it on their phone. Wow. And, uh, you know, you got to be able to, to give your customers what they want, I guess. So. Right. That makes sense. That's cool. And I love the variety of stuff that you've got. You know, it's a, we'll go through, we're, I've got a, a handful of things highlighted that we'll, uh, we'll talk about, but um, if you're listening to the podcast, don't leave the podcast in the middle of it. Like get through the podcast, but after the podcast, make sure you check out the uh, website cause it's <laughs> awesome. And uh, you'll make it a regular bookmark because uh, and you're on, uh, you're on social media too, right? I know you got Instagram, are you on Facebook as well? Yeah. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, you know, all everything. Uh, I haven't done TikTok. uh, you know, it just depends. That kind of goes against the the old school archive thing, right? Like TikTok is kind of <laughs> the opposite of what uh, you yeah. are, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I I just won't go there. <laughs> the, the People's Republic of China would really appreciate some facial recognition data on you, Terry. So if you could hop sure. on TikTok, that'd be great. Yeah, unfortunately, my my past job or my current job is uh, they're not down. They already have it uh, in their database. Ah, uh, then they don't need you. That's perfect. Yeah, thank you, Office of Management and Budget, uh, Washington, D.C. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah, well, do, I was let, part of that whole of that whole thing. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's start out firing with uh, – this is something that Nick had been talking about recently, but Nick, Nick asked uh, Rob and I, he goes, hey, man, uh, can you guys think of some – electronic devices or fishing gadgets that looked like they were going to be big difference makers in in the fishing world that just kind of I don't want to say maybe fell on their face but didn't end up living up to what everyone thought they would be and um you know of course 
Terry has been uh, talking about this for a little while on his website. He's, he's and he's got he's got a handful of uh, articles on just this type of stuff. So uh, the the most recent one would be your O2 meter, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the O2 meter, and then there was the depth talker too, which is a a, a really fun one. Um, but yeah, the o, the O2 meter. When you think about it, oh, it's like yeah, that that would be a good idea. I mean, fish need oxygen to live. Uh, be sure nice to know what the oxygen content of the water is. Um, and the, the problem with that, and I've worked in laboratories my whole career, uh, you know, even through college. And to measure oxygen, you need a specific type of probe. Uh, and that probe needs to be calibrated every day. Uh, and if you're working in a working lab that's going through hundreds of uh, samples that you need to test the oxygen on, you have to test it or recalibrate it multiple times a day possibly. Um, and so to, to build a meter that you're going to give an angler who's gonna throw it into his rod locker or his storage compartment and never test it and never calibrate it and think that that's gonna give him some meaningful data you're absolutely off your rocker. So that's what sales and marketing departments are for. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I mean, and you know, when I was a kid and I was reading those ads, like, Holy crap, you know, that's awesome. And Bassmaster did numerous, you know, three or four page articles on the science of oxygen structure fishing is what they called it back then. Um, And I, I mean, it's, you're reading it, it's like, oh man, yeah, yeah, selling me, this This is the next wave, you know, and you had Roland, you know, pumping it, you had Jimmy pumping it, you had Bill Dance, I mean, everybody was was behind the O2 bandwagon. Oxygen structure fishing. Oxygen structure <laughs> fishing. the oxygen, bro. That's yeah, hilarious. exactly. Look for the bubbles. It's a gradient, you know, I mean. <laughs> what, Terry, what was the time frame of that? Because I don't even recall that. It was 75, 76, oh, wow. 77. Um, and uh, I mean, that's like when I joined BASS in Western Bass was in the 74, 75 timeframe. I was uh, 10 years old, 11 years old, something like that. And so those were the magazines that I first started getting. And it had really had an effect on me. You know, dad, we need an oxygen meter. You know, yeah, no, you, <laughs> your troll motor's a paddle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and... But, you know, getting older and actually working in a chemistry lab, you know, you pick that magazine back up and you think, wow, they didn't even think of, of this because I got to go in to the lab every day and calibrate this thing. <clears throat> Who's calibrating this one? You never know. I mean, it could be bombed right out of the package. So maybe if you used it for a month and you got such terrible data, you could start to see consistency in terrible data and then feel really confident in your... You know, yeah, but you don't know because because fish want to live in something that's between five and eight point two ppm oxygen. Okay, that's that's their sweet spot. Most states have a limit that uh, that makes it to where industrial uh, uh, you know companies cannot dump pollution into the water that will bring the the, de- the dissolved oxygen content below five ppm. Huh. Okay, so that's usually a a mandate put out by the states, the federal government, uh, you name it. Um, 
And the higher the oxygen content from there, the better off you are. Now in the summertime, you get, you know, uh, depleted oxygen in certain areas because uh, the higher the water temperature, the lower the DO, the, the lower the water can handle uh, oxygen, okay? Uh, and then the colder the water, the better. You know, it, it can handle more. Uh, it's just the reverse of, of air temperature, okay? With respect to holding moisture, for example. Um, and so uh, if you have a unit and right out of the bag, it won't measure above 5 ppm, you're going to think, oh, crap. There's, you know, there's the fish this should like all be sucks. floating on the surface. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep. <laughs> there's nothing here. Yeah. So... You know, that's that's the problem is yeah. you have to have at least, you know, some sort of a baseline that you know that is accurate. Sure. Interesting. And you also you also make the point that um, fishermen eventually get inherently lazy as well, right? And and who wants to be dealing with a 20-foot cord and, you know, you pull up your spot and the choice is do I chuck my topwater bait out or do I uncoil this mess of rope? Uh, or a cord and uh, br bring this thing down that doesn't even seem to be working right in the first place and uh, yeah. and test the water before I start right. fishing. You know, oh. they're boy. Hey, they're boiling. You see the fish boiling out there. It's like, nope. Let me drop this thing down first and see uh, and see if the if the oxygen's right, so I know yeah. whether it's worth fishing here or not. And then you tangle that up with your color selector as you're dropping that down to see what color top water to throw. <laughs> I was gonna bring that up. You know the. The, the color selector, I mean, it did us great. It, it gave us bubble gum. It gave us colors that we would have really? never in our wildest imagination that would have thrown. But what killed it was the flipping cord. You know, <laughs> nobody wanted to uncoil the thing and drop it down. I mean, they just same needed thing to get with, Bluetooth and then they would have yeah. been fine. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> you, you just, <laughs> yeah, it's. <laughs> Just, I mean, that's the problem with all these things. And, and then the uh, Aquaview. Uh, I had an Aquaview when it, saying it was second, excuse me, second gen. Uh, I hated the thing because I didn't want to waste time dropping the thing, looking around. You know, you, you're on your belly and uh, tapping the troll motor with your, your finger to, to move around. And yeah, it was just a pain in the butt thing about the Aquaview that's interesting is, you know, they were talking about banning it in tournaments because it was so, I mean, and it just never really came to. Yeah. It, it never was a factor like they thought, in my opinion, at least. Yeah. Yeah. It, and kind of like all the electronics that we have coming out today, you know, they just guys that, that want to ban them. Um, right. right. I, I honestly feel that uh, flashes and paper graphs should have never gone out of style. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, GPS is too much of a crutch. I want to see someone go out with a flasher and a paper graph and line up on points on the on the shoreline, a half a mile off offshore, and and fish that way. I mean, it to me, that was the, the cool thing, it, is that you had this offshore stuff all to yourself. Um, if you you know knew how to line up on stuff and and look at a paper graph or a flasher. You know, and today it's just all given to you out of, you know, out of a chip. Yeah. What's funny about that, Terry, is you would fish a, a local team tournament and only the guys that were in the know would end up on the spot. It didn't matter what time they were out. They might be the 50th boat out, yep. but there, and there might be a hot spot and you yep. roll up there and they're all not even near the spot. 
yeah. not all of them, but you know what I'm saying? It, it was, and then they would gravitate towards where they saw someone, if it was John Murray or whatever, John would pull up right on the juice and those guys would all of a sudden <laughs> all gravitate towards him because he's their GPS, right? Exactly. <laughs> he's their waypoint. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, you, you can't knock the, te te uh, the technology today uh, because, I mean, that's what we do, right? We just try to make things better and better and better. But it, it is irritating to get a, a, a map card and look and say, yeah, all this stuff that, that's on here, already pre-prescribed pre waypoints, is stuff that took me 35 years to, you know, accumulate on my own. I get and, that uh, frustration. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, it, but spot so, lock, don't take my spot lock away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is a that's that is one of the one of the best advantages to the new technology as a bass fisherman. That is totally one thing that after you use it, so hard to be without it for sure. So hard to be yeah. without it. Yep. yep. Couldn't imagine. Um well, yeah, and even just you talking about all that stuff, man, gives me, uh, gives me, it, it makes me nervous thinking about having that stuff taken away from me. So let's hope that the tournament rules <laughs> yeah. stay the way they are. I, as, as long as these uh, electronic companies keep paying the uh, tournament organizations, that stuff's not going anywhere, man. No way. So <laughs> now, now let me throw this out. Uh, in the 75, 76 timeframe, Bill Stembridge, who owned, was the original owner of Flipdale Lures, uh, he started uh, some, a company called Aquascan, and this was, did you, did you see this one, Rob, or do you remember this one? I don't, know. It was Sidescan back in 75, 76. Wow. Yeah. Is that, but, was that the Hummingbird? Hummingbird had, mm -mm. they had Wide Eye maybe? Was that, what was the name of the one they had? But it was. I think it was Wide Eye. I think you're right. Um. But it, but it was a, it was kind of a side forward facing type deal. I remember the puck was on the side wow. of the trolling motor. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, but, and so that's what Stembridge essentially did, but he was doing it with a flashing unit. So he had uh, a, a forward facing flasher transducer uh, that would then feed into a box that would, um, you know, it was essentially, it looked like a, a, a flasher printout or, you know, screen with a light and you would move that thing and you could see out to I think 90 feet or something like that and I mean it was that was the first and again they were getting this all from from the submarine industry uh, because if you look at any uh, sonar it is the the US Navy that is doing all that research and development um, every bit of what Garmin's done Every bit of what you know, Lawrence Humminbird uh, have done has all been technology that's been released from the Navy. And uh, as the Navy releases more of that, you know, those bits of information, uh, you know, we're going to see things get even better. But uh, yeah, he was doing it back in '75, '76. Uh, Roland Martin was using it back then. Wow. Um, but I mean. You used the flasher, right, Rob? Oh, yeah. Yeah, my first real bass boat had two paper graphs, two temp gauges, and two box flashers. It was pretty legit. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. And had, yeah. And go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to say, I keep hearing Roland Martin's name. It would be hilarious to have this conversation with him, dude. And he would be like, yeah, I had this thing on my boat. I had that thing on my boat. I had that on my boat. It'd be yeah. very interesting to see what he had to say about all this stuff, you know? Yep. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, you got to get rolled on. <laughs> it's just hilarious. Like he was on the forefront of, and obviously these companies, he was the guy to pay to use it. Right. Oh. Like let's get oh, rolling yeah, yeah. using this and promoting it. Right. It's just <laughs> hilarious. You've already said his name like three times, dude. You yeah, know, it's exactly. funny when I think of Roland, I was down at Lake Bacharach in 1993 and Roland was down there fishing. Um, they were, I believe they were filming, but we come around a corner in a little Mexican Ponga boat. Is that what you, is that what you call them? Panga, Ponga, whatever they are. Ponga. Nailed it. Yeah. And here's Roland's Ranger boat up on shore and he's waiting in the sticks in the back of the cove. <laughs> it was just wow. like, yeah. Just he, like he, his book. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, remember I, reading that, you know, when I was a kid, 101 Bass Catching Secrets by Roland Martin. Yep. And looking at these pictures, and he's in chest waders. You know, if you know, there are certain times of the of the the, the year that waiting is a much better technique than fishing out of your boat. And, you know, throw, so shows him with an old Mitchell 300 and a Insane. fiberglass rod. And, he had yeah. a waiter company paying him, dude. Yeah, yeah. Saying, like he had <laughs> chest waders and Okeechobee with water moccasins and alligators. He's like, preferably an alligator spawning season is when you like to put your chest waders on and go flail around in the mud. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Aquascan. Uh, the I think the thing that killed it was the fifteen hundred dollar price tag in nineteen seventy five. Wow. Yeah. Is that, that now? That's with inflation. What's that? It's like fifteen to? grand now, probably. Oh yeah, it's got to be. It's. You're it's just un- thinking about it, Aron. It's just monthly installments of nine ninety nine for thirty years. <laughs> <laughs> Very affordable. Buy a house. Big <laughs> yeah. straight yeah, interest. Yeah, it, was, uh, be it fine. was crazy. You do that and then you realize it doesn't work. You're like, I got to pay for this thing for the next 30 years. It didn't even help me catch a single fish. Installment number seven, you're sad. How effective was it? Well, it was as effective as a flasher, except you're trying to decipher, you know, what am I really looking at in a a horizontal plane? Um, Whereas in a vertical plane, you know, you have the bottom, which is the, the really bright light. And then anything in between that bottom really bright light in the surface, you're going to think is going to be bait something. or fish, uh-huh. right? But if you now, you, you aim it forward and you've got these lights, uh, you don't know what it is. And I mean, it just, the technology that we have today just blows it out of the water, obviously. Uh, but I think it was just really, really hard to de- decipher what the, what, what the signal was that you were looking at. Um, because there's just so much out there that it could be. I mean, it could be a stump. It could be fish. It could be bait fish. It could be weeds. What kind of weeds are there? You know, it could be a sunken boat, you know, all sorts of, you know, just something out there. You know, there's something. Yeah. And the only way with, with a flasher to decipher if it was a fish or not is to wait and look. So your bottom's going to be a real bright, bright light, but any fish in between are going to be lighter, shades of that red color okay um and if you leave your boat stationary those things would would come they would shut off and come back on turn on you know and and that's how you're like okay yeah i'm i'm over fish uh and with it forward facing like that there's just no way to decipher what the heck you're looking at there's just something in front of me 
Interesting. Yeah, so a flasher was more effective in, say, a western body of water that had very little uh, cover underwater. Yep. You know, without... Think about a, a salt, bunch of salt cedars at Roosevelt now that a flasher would just be useless. You know, you'd see nothing but flashes from the trees and whatnot and never be able to decipher what was what. So Exactly. Makes total yeah. sense. If you see yeah. something, it's a fish. Yeah, it was great on Casitas, Castaic, you know, the lakes I grew up fishing because they were just, you know, bowls of, of sand and, and, and rock. Yep. You know, structure yeah. scan flashing wasn't a thing yet, huh? No. <laughs> That's cool. Nope. Well, it's interesting you uh, you bring up the cameras because the, the uh, Aqua, you definitely, it wasn't a flop by any stretch of the imagination. You know, it's still, there are, I know some guys that still use it to their advantage in this, and there's a lot of different applications in all the fishing world for Aquaview. Um, but it definitely wasn't like, like Nick mentioned how, uh, or I, I don't remember if it was Nick or Rob that said, uh, you know, they were going to ban them, but um, it, it, it almost didn't even have to happen. Right. Because it's sometimes by the time you see that, you see it, you, you drop it down by a boulder and see a couple bass and it's like, okay, there's a couple bass there. And the dude that's not using the aqua, he already has those fish in his live well because he's <laughs> yeah. sitting his drop shot down there and caught yeah. before, yeah. you know, uh, but what, well, what, he, anything else? Go ahead, Rob. What, what were you going to say? All he has to do is open the lid of his live well and he can see him clear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Close <laughs> up. So, when, back when I started the site in Harold Sharp, who was the, uh, the, uh, original tournament director for BASS. Uh, Harold was helping me out with some of the history with respect to bass. And uh, we started, you know, communicating quite regularly on with email. And uh, I wrote something about, I think it was the pH meter or the O2 meter. And he, he sent me a story about this one time he was fishing with a dude. Uh, they, they get out, I think it was on maybe Pickwick or Nick and Jack or something. And the guys, he's, Harold's in this guy's boat. They go out to this point. The guy stops the boat and then starts fiddling with uh, either the pH meter or the O2 meter and says, you know, I'm going to find out if the, this is a good spot to fish. Harold gets up on the back deck, fires a spinnerbait a couple casts, catches a fish, and says, yeah, I think this is a good spot. Exactly. Something, <laughs> something to that effect, right? Perfect, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Harold's like, give me, give me five casts of the spinnerbait, and I'll tell you whether or not there's fish here. <laughs> Sometimes it's tough to beat that way, right? That's oh, hell yeah. Yeah, exactly. Always, right? That's, what, that's, the, that's the deal. You got to find out, right? It's, yep. so, it's so easy to overcomplicate things in bass fishing. And I was talking to a guy – uh last week and it reminded me of what skeet had come on here and told us and he's like hey you just try it if you have an idea you try it you go over there and make some casts and if if it's working you keep doing it and if it's not working you go somewhere else and try something else and uh ultimately that's uh that's the best way to find fish is just to try it but um that's pretty cool dude let's uh let's let's move it on to something else we you know we had talked about um the origin of the roll cast. Last time you came on here, we talked about the origin of flipping and how it kind of was born out West and worked its way back East. But in bass fishing, even maybe more popular than the flipping technique is roll casting a bait to shallow cover, close targets. Um, and, and you've done a lot of digging on how this actually started, man. Can you share that with us? Yeah, uh, we have to go back a hundred years literally a hundred years. It's amazing. Um, yeah. So 
I first heard about uh, a couple of guys named uh, Charles Fox and Sheridan Jones uh, from a buddy of mine named Bill Sonnet, who's a freak when it comes to this, this historical stuff. Now, Sonnet's in his late 70s, early 80s, and he's been a historian of bass fishing since the 60s. So I have a lot to learn from him. And, and so he points me in the direction of, of these guys. He'll send me books here and there. You need to read this if you really want to say that you're a historian, okay? So he sends me a book by Sheridan Jones, um, and I'm reading in there, and Jones is talking about using bait casting equipment, five and a half to six foot rods, and doing this cast where you're rolling your wrist in order to keep the bait four or five inches above the, the surface of the water. And then as the bait gets to where you want it to, to, to be, you feather the spool with your thumb, you lift back on the rod a little bit, it straightens the line out, puts some tension on the bait, and then you slowly lower it in the water with just a ripple. Nice, dude. A hundred years ago. 19, or yeah, yeah, 1924 is when it was described in the book which means that he came out with it before he wrote it. So who knows when that was. Um, and then, so you have Sheridan Jones describing it in that book that he published in the, in the mid twenties. Uh, and then you have Charles Fox writing about it in his uh, uh, book, uh, which I have a book review actually on the website. Uh, and that was in, I wanna say the forties, maybe early fifties. And then, of course, you've got Jason Lucas, who is considered the, the, the godfather of contemporary bass fishing when it comes to not just beating the bank, but structure fishing and fishing offshore. Uh, his book came out in 47, 49, and then again in 62. And he was also the, the fishing editor for uh, uh, Sports of Field magazine back in that time frame also. Um, so, yeah, it, that's where it it all began was with with jones yeah so uh it, it's it's interesting that sheridan jones he definitely saw the need for that type of presentation right he he, he figured out that hey these fish get spooked when the bait lands in really hard yeah. and um, this is a way to accurately present a bait to these fish in in shallow water what kind of baits did he have in 1924 what was he casting they were, I mean, Hedden was huge. Shakespeare was huge. Fluger was huge. They were all building the old wood plugs that were, you know, so used to seeing from the, that era. Um, they were also throwing, hell, Hedden's number one selling lure, I believe it was a Model 100 and a Model 150, was a wooden prop bait that sunk. What does that remind you of? A spy bait, right? Wow. Yeah. And, and I've always wanted to talk to the president of, of uh, Duo Realis and, and ask him, where did you get this idea of a sinking prop bait? Because it's not a new idea. And it's like everything else that I write about. It, there's nothing new in bass fishing. It's just rehashed old ideas. Nothing new um, in life. Everything has been done, right? It's just a matter of refining yeah. it. Yep, no exactly. Now, I, I will give Realis credit that they took this clunky wooden lure and Typical Japanese technology, you know, they refined the heck out of it uh, and, and really made something that worked. But back in the, in the 
teens and the 20s when the, the 100 and the 150 were the best-selling head and fate, uh, you know, it was a, it literally looked like a wood chopper. Uh, <laughs> and, and it sunk and you just cast it out and you reeled it in. It was, you know, huh. pretty cool. So that's was- some of the stuff. You know, but then you, you also had, you know, topwater baits like the Zara Spook um, or the Zaragoza. Um, you had, you know, all sorts of other wooden baits like the, the river run didn't come out until the thirties. Um, the spook was around in the 1920s. Oh yeah. Wow. Dude, that's yeah, it crazy. A, yeah. It's been around for a hundred years. Fish yeah. must have crushed that thing in 1920. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, 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 would think. I didn't realize, <clears throat> you know, we're talking about roll casting and man, I, I just, in my typical ignorant fashion, I always think of fly fishing when I think of roll casting. And uh, it makes me think, so my great-grandfather, my dad always said, I didn't meet him. He passed away a couple years before I was born. But he was definitely the oldest torch-carrying member of the McMurray clan to be all about fishing. And I'm sure there was someone before him, but that's just the one that I hear about. And my dad would tell me stories. He was just a he was a, a food angler like everyone was back then. So it, he didn't really have any prejudice on how to catch him. He just wanted to catch him. But in Wyoming, you know, fly fishing was just kind of the, the practice of the day. And it always blows my mind hearing the stories that they had, kind of like we're saying with the prototype to a spy bait and the spook and stuff a hundred years ago. I mean, like they were ingenuitive and, you know, they were anglers, man. So I'm, it's cool to hear that they had all these techniques. It's kind of at first you think, wow, it's crazy a hundred years ago, but then they were just as driven and passionate as we are a hundred years later. Like they're, they were just true badass fishermen. Yeah, well, they had to put food on the table, right? They weren't going out there to do it as a sport. They were right. trying to eat. You know? Yeah, so they were doing it for Instagram. World you're War right. One, Great Depression, World War Two. Yeah, you're pretty hungry by the time you get to the river. I, although I think my great grandfather drank a lot of beer out there too, so that probably <laughs> tied him over until he yeah. had some fish for dinner. You know, he just he ate some cores and then he drank some fish later, but you know, right. there's a sandwich in every can. <laughs> well, so you, you bring up another good point though, Nick, is that back then there was fly fishing and there was bait casting. There was no spinning around, no spin cast. Uh-huh. It was, you know, you had two options and all these bass anglers back at the turn of the 19th to 20th century, or is that? Yeah. Something yeah. Like, yeah. 19, in, in the 19th, early 1900s, uh, they were all really adept at, at fly fishing and fly casting, and they were adept at cast bait casting. Drowning a worm. <laughs> yeah, and, and the rods back then, the technology was either split bamboo or it was like willow, so tree limbs that were you know fashioned into rods. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to get any distance, you needed to have a long rod. And so you had these seven, eight-foot rods, you know, maybe a little bit longer for fly fishing. But because that's what they were used to using in fly fishing. That's what they used in casting. And now you get someone like Sheridan Jones coming around and saying, yeah, why don't you cut, you know, <laughs> half of it off, <laughs> two, two feet off the butt of your, your flipping fly rod and put a bait casting reel on. And, uh, and then clever, clever guy, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. So it, it, it you always got some really uh, thoughtful, the uh, tinker probably ahead uh, of his gonna, time everyone's yeah. making fun of him like look at this asshole like did he yeah. fall down and break his rod on his way to the water and then he starts catching him like hmm. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> when cool. did when did the spinning rod or spinning reel 
come to, like the modern day spinning reel? The modern day spinning reel was invented in France or somewhere in that area of Europe uh, in the in the 30s. It didn't come to the United States until the it was either the late 40s or the 50s. I actually have a, another article on the website about that that Bill, okay. my buddy Bill Sonnet uh, sent to me. Um, it was the first or second ad that was ever placed in the magazine. Popular Mechanics by, you know, by chance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because Popular Mechanics, if you wanted to know what was going on fishing tackle-wise, you got Popular Mechanics. Huh. You'd go to the World Fair. <laughs> no kidding, seriously. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I actually have a, a Popular Mechanics from 1952 or 1951 at my, my desk inside. Uh, that goes through uh, this new craze of spin fishing is what they called it. So yeah, so it was uh, yeah it was invented in, in France I believe in the the late 30s, but it didn't get over to the U.S. for another you know 10 years. Nick and Josh might not even recall Popular Mechanics. Do you guys? Mm, no, it doesn't it even a, sound like something that I would understand anyways, dude. So. It's just a magazine <laughs> that that you would see sitting around in people's homes. I mean, that was a common thing. Reader's Digest and Popular yep. Mechanics, right? Those yep. were the, the Bibles of bored Americans. Yep. And you would see fishing stuff consistently pop up in there, Terry. Every issue. In wow. fact, the the ads were, you look back now, and in and, and, and every issue there was rod ads, reel ads. How about that? Boat, boat motor ads. So you had Evinrude, Johnson, Mercury, and all these other motors that, are no longer in existence today. I mean, back in the 40s and 50s and 60s, there was like 10 outboard manufacturers. Yeah, and, and now there's what, five maybe or four? Yeah, yeah, big ones anyways that, that we would know about, yeah. Exactly. Pretty interesting. Yeah, so he, the, every issue had some article in it related to fishing and then just a ton of ads for, you know, tackle and, and fishing other fishing paraphernalia that's cool and when it comes to like just presenting a bait like you're talking about uh, the fly cast the roll cast the spinning cast we talked about flipping um that's like the it's 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 down to the most basic art of fishing but is there anything else that you think is 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 there another way to present a bait that we haven't done yet like do you see something coming down the road like like some dude on on tour in five years wins a tournament doing something crazy and then now it's like okay well that's this this next big thing or have we uh, reached the limit on drones <laughs> i was gonna say holograms <laughs> yes. drones and holograms so i'm in hawaii for work back uh in i think it was august of uh this last year 2021 and i had uh I was there for three and a half weeks. So I had a couple of weekends so I could just, you know, go off and do my own thing. And so I went up the coast and was walking the beach and there was this dude setting up to go surf fishing. And he had these 13 foot graphite surf rods. And, you know, he's putting his, you know, A-vet reels on them and, and, and getting everything set up. He's got his, you know, spikes in the sand, the whole nine yards. And uh, I was asking, so what are you catching? Oh, we catch, you know, jacks and, and stuff like this up to 100 pounds off the beach here it's like holy crap That's cool cool yeah. i said how far out do you have to go and he goes oh you know i gotta you know and, and the reels that he's using are you know four aught to six aught size reels and i'm thinking how the hell is he casting as far as he needs to go and he pulls his freaking drone out 
<laughs> he goes, this is how I do it. And literally, he'll take the drone, hook it up, and fly his bait out 120 yards and drop it and then bring it back in. Wow. That's sick. That's cheaper than a boat still. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I, I think drones in some, some way are going to be uh, – and Did you long line crankbaits in a tournament legally like that? <laughs> well, That's dude, drones are illegal. Drones are, are already are. outlawed from tournaments. And okay. the reason is not for that, obviously, but it's for, uh, you know, scouting out um, areas that you can't maybe see by boat or scouting out other fishermen that you can't <laughs> see by boat as well. <laughs> what, what we need to do is have Garmin needs Garmin, Hummingbird, and Lawrence need to come out with a drone. And an A-rig, and we'd be good to go. Dude, that's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the tournaments will uh, turn a blind eye real quick, huh? Yeah. So are they illegal in pre-fish also? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Wow. Because, dude, there have been instances. I mean, you could, you could imagine the trouble a guy could get into with the drone as far as getting an advantage over others, right? So, and, and, so uh, yep, the, the, it's, been, it's been in the rules for a few years amazing to have those like have some kind of like weapons defense system on it so if everyone had their drones out there and pre-fishing and you saw someone else's it'd be like that battle bots show where like they'd go into the octagon and fight they have like saw blades on them and you're like flying them into each other that's what they should go that's the next direction it'd get interesting <laughs> real quick that's, that's insane cool uh well cool dude let's turn the page again we uh so we got terry for like another 15 minutes then we'll get to let him go so let's run uh, through these next couple topics real quick because uh, i want to get to him uh, a lot of people nowadays talk about how tournament fishing is getting supposedly younger the development of electric we're talking about electronics everyone always talks about okay these younger anglers understand like uh, electronics so well and it's actually giving them an edge over the older guys and uh, a lot of the older guys are up in arms about it, but Terry's done some digging and um, let's hear what he's got to say about this. Yeah. So understanding, you know, what happened back in the, in the late sixties and early seventies uh, and, and who the anglers were and, and, and then looking at all the message boards and Twitter and, you know, people complaining about, you know, the old school guys, not, being up in the standings or making the classic every year anymore. Uh, it it kind of irritated me because I had a feeling in my gut that it's the dominant uh, age in fishing has not changed. That was in my gut. You know, it's, it's going to be the, the 30 year old class angler that's going to be dominating. So I actually went back. Uh, was, I, I do a, a series called season at a glance and what, what that, series does is it looks at uh the 1975 uh season for example of the Bassmaster tour and I go through every tournament and then at the end uh the last article in the series is always who qualified for the classic and who was in the classic and, and who won the classic and so the classic contenders which was usually put out in the magazine before the classic report it gives a, a breakdown of everybody that made the classic, where they're from, and their age. So I started taking that data and looking to see what the average age of the person that qualified for the classic was. Um, and I got the idea of, okay, well, let's look at the, the, the people that made the classic in the Bassmaster, the, the Bassmaster Classic, or, you know, 
who finished in the top 20 of the AOI race for uh, uh, MLF. And I've done it now for uh, two years with respect to BASS back in the day, so 75 and 76. And the 1975 results compared to the 2021 results for uh, BASS and uh, MLF, the, 19, the guys in 1975 that made that classic were actually younger by, on average than the guys that made the classic or the Red Crest in 2021. So they were younger by a, 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 about four years in 75. Wow. So I looked at what the is the average age? Uh, in 75, it was 34. And in 2021, it was 38. And Dude, then that's a little you go older to, than I expected, actually. Interesting. Yeah. And then you go to 76, and it, it's the exact same number. It's 34 years was the average age, and you have, you know, still the same 2021 data at 38. So, yeah, you're talking about a, a 30-year-old Bill Dance or a 28-year-old Bill Dance. You're talking about a, a 30-year-old Roland Martin. Of course, they were at the top of their, their game, you know, and – uh you had Greg Ward, who's the youngest angler to ever qualify for a classic, and I think he qualified for four of them. Now, Greg Ward comes from the Virgil Ward fishing family. So him and his dad are the first father's son to make a classic together, uh, and that was in 75. And then again, they made it uh, together again in, in 76. Greg Ward was 19 years old when he qualified for his nice. first classic. That's yeah, cool. 19. So there's a little bit of uh, history that you can – you know, when you, when you need it, you know, who's the young, youngest angler. A lot of people think it was Klein, and it wasn't Klein. Klein missed it by a couple of years. Hmm. Wasn't David Dudley like 19 when he won a Bassmaster Open, I believe? He was young. I know that. One of the yeah, he was young. Ever. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Uh, yeah, it was that 19 to 21 yeah. Yeah. age bracket, you know? So – now you've got me thinking, Rob. I got to go back and check that out. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. This is what keeps me going. You know, people yeah. throw ideas at me, and uh, it's like, crap, I got to go check that out. Nice. <laughs> That's cool. Well, dude, I, I you know, honestly, fishing is one of those weird sports that um, it's physical, but it's really, really mental. And it's, it's such a unique com- combination of the two when it comes to having success in tournaments. Um, there's so many different factors, you know, the, the fishing compared to other sports, there are a million variables, I think maybe more than a lot of other sports, but when it just comes to like performance, um, there's a happy medium there, right? Like when you're young, you have so much drive. If you're, if you're a, t- a competitive tournament fisherman, I think you probably do have more drive when you're younger. Do you have less obstacles in your way possibly as far as other things, families, kids, um, the older you get, the more, um, in turn, the more tied up you get on the business side in tournament fishing and you have things taking away from your attention and your time. I know even myself, as I get older, I have less time to actually focus on fishing and it's, and you have to carve that time out. But, um, so do you, you think that 20, my, my, my guess is like 28 to 35 is probably the ultimate time where you kind of got it all going for you. And you do see guys have great seasons and have great success even in their, in their fifties. But uh, yeah, what do you guys think is like the ultimate time? Go ahead, Rob, first. 
I don't know about the ultimate time, but it's going to be interesting to see, and sorry to go off on that, but look, it's going to be interesting in 20 years from now to see if that age drops due to all the new introduction to the high school fishing, the junior fishing. That's an all. interesting fact. Like it may, it may even get younger because of that, or it's hard to say, but it'll right be now we're going to in the opposite direction. According to Terry, like, right. It's not getting younger. It's getting older. So it'll be interesting if it takes that turn, if it back. comes back down. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I think the biggest difference between the young angler and the seasoned angler is that the young guy, like you said, they have the drive to want to be the best. But what that gives them is an ability to change on the fly or to try something that's never been tried before, go against the grain. Um, and, and it's not just in fishing, it's in everything in life. I mean, some of the, the biggest uh, developments in technology and science have been done by 19-year-old kids. I mean, you look at, at Einstein, for example, when he was a patent clerk uh, coming up with a the theory of relativity. He did that in his early 20s, okay? Um, and he thought of concepts that 50-year-old that, that physicists had never come up with before. And when he did come up with them, the old school was telling him that he was nuts. And then look, you know, 10 years later, he's, you know, one of the most sought after physicists in the world. Um, I think the same thing happens in bass fishing. You as a young mind, you don't know the, the rules. You don't know the boundaries. So you're gonna try everything. And you don't care if someone laughs at you because it's just an old fart making fun of me. You know, I really don't care what that old guy thinks. And I think as you get older, uh, you get locked into to stuff. And I see this in my own fishing. You know, sure, I'm gonna we force, all do. I'm, I'm gonna force feed them. I, I wanna throw a freaking jerk bait. So I'm good, they're gonna eat a jerk bait or they're not. Okay. And you go out there and and you're not open to what the environment's telling you or what the fish are telling you. And it I think that's a big difference. Yeah. Physical fitness pays a part, plays a part in it. Um, you know, the business side plays a part in it, but I think it's the ability to free think. Uh, is what I like that. It is one of the biggest traps. And, and hey, there are tournaments where a veteran will win because there will be an interesting situation. And he'll remember, yeah, I fished a tournament out here 15 years ago. And when it rained, that creek ran clear and warm. And I'm going to run up there. And, and, and they go in there and they win the tournament. But for every time that happens, that dude can also could also get pulled down the wrong road of thinking, man, I you know, they ever it's always been like this it's going to be like that again and it, and it's just not and, and in history right. it's exactly it's 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 a real trap it's one of the yeah. big it, there's just so many challenges to fishing in general and uh it's yeah. very interesting to, that's it makes a lot of sense what you're saying is just the uh not not fishing with fear and fishing with a completely open mind just like how i i bet if we all look at our our practice we always overall have better luck in practice than we do in the tournament because you're not <laughs> tied to history, even though it's only a couple of days old, you know, it's, it's amazing how many times you go out there your first day of practice on a body of water, light them up and it only gets tougher through the rest of the week. <laughs> yeah. I, I always uh, hated the tournaments that I fished that I really killed them and, or what I thought I figured something out in practice. I always liked the tournaments where I had a really rough practice. 
because there was only one way to go and it was up, right? Nice, yep. And, and it always seemed that the, the worse practice that I had, the better I did in the event. That's cool. That's interesting, man. Uh, dude, you're one of, one of the most interesting guests we ever get on here. This is a, we could talk to you for hours. Uh, and I know that uh, we've got to run here in a couple minutes. So the last thing I wanted to touch on was uh, Aaron Martins. We've talked about him a bunch just over, over the years on the podcast. And, um, you know, unfortunately, everyone knows we lost him recently. Terry has, and there's a lot of amazing tributes all over the internet about Aaron. You can tell how much he was respected and loved. And, and Terry's got one of the coolest tributes that I've seen because um, it's stuff that the public really hasn't had the chance to see. It's, it's a lot of photos and articles and stuff of Aaron as he was a young angler coming up. Can you run through kind of what you've got on bassarchives.com regarding to Aaron? Yeah. So uh, I essentially have 131 pictures of Aaron uh, from the, first year that he started fishing team tournaments with his mom uh, down in Southern California, all the way through, uh, you know, his last few, you know, AOI wins with BASS. And then uh, I believe I have the last uh, win that he had with respect to MLF. Um, and I, I, got, I have to thank a buddy of mine, Dennis Taylor, uh, who sent me back in 2012, a box filled with a bunch of uh, early Southern California American bass uh, newsletters and and other stuff and because it allowed me to to scan all those those newsletters but without him you know letting me borrow that stuff I wouldn't have had been able to put together such a complete look at his career yeah um, and and so I have that starting in 1989 when Aaron and his mom go out and buy their first bass boat and join American Bass and, and start fishing teams together. They end up winning Super Team of the Year that first year, which is nuts. Uh, there were a lot of boats. Competitive, dude. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you're talking, you know, Dick Trask and Scott Gantz. I mean, they, they had Southern California wired. You, you got Jay Poor. You've got John Ed Wilder. I mean, the, the team circuit back in those days – in SoCal was full of sticks. And you would have 150 boats fishing on Castaic and Casitas, uh, San Antonio. And to win Super Team of the Year your first year out, I mean, that, that says something. A mother and son, too, come A out of A mother and son. That's yeah, crazy. exactly. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah so I, 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 I used those pictures, um, and I even put the tournament stats up in that article. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it, they're hard to read some of them. Um, but, uh, and then, you know, I have every issue of, of, of Bassmaster. I have every issue of, uh, what, uh, what, uh, golly, Bass West. And then when it changed into Bass West USA. And so I have, uh, pictures of him, ads from him in, in those magazines all the way, you know, through. And, it's made into a gallery, so there's you don't have to listen to or read my gibberish. Uh, just click on the pictures and and check it out. But yeah, it's a you know Aaron got into it right when I was uh, in school, so I wasn't fishing against him. I think I fished maybe three tournaments against him uh, during the summer. Uh, but I mean, yeah, he was. I remember one instance on Casitas. Uh, we're back in uh, a cove called Chismahu, and. Uh, 
I mean, he's just whacking the fish. And nobody else is catching anything. You know, it was, yeah, Aaron was a, a special dude. That's cool, man. Well said. That's awesome. I really, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed, I enjoy your website a ton already, but going through that gallery put a smile on my face, man. It was just cool to see uh, the dominance early on. And uh, dude, he was, he's just, uh, was always so far ahead of the game. And, uh, you know, just, uh, and all the cool, just his, his, the Crown Royal era was so cool looking at all yeah. those articles and pictures and stuff like that. And, uh, and yeah, his mom and his wife are involved in a lot of this stuff. And dude, it's just awesome. You guys need to check it out. Uh, it's, it's bass-archives.com. And uh, that's the first, uh, first article or, or segment you guys need to check out for sure. Yeah, just, uh, there's a search function at the top of the page. Uh, just type in Aaron Martins and it'll bring it that there's actually two articles um, on him or maybe three articles, but it'll bring those two or three up and then just pick on the one. I think it's a tribute to Aaron Martins or something like that. It was, I actually published it on the 1st of November and he passed on the 4th. Um, so cool. I don't know if that's good timing or bad timing. Awesome. But, well, Hey, uh, dude, we're at our, uh, our hard stop time for you. Do you guys have anything else real quick for Terry before we let him go? No, just thanks for coming on. I could listen to you for hours about bass fishing history. It's awesome. Thanks, Thank Rob. Yeah, yeah, likewise, man. Thank you. It's uh, it's always fun. And keep doing what you're doing, man. You're a your content factory of stuff that uh, we wouldn't have if you weren't out there parsing through it and putting it out. So thank you. Yeah, no, anytime, Nick. Appreciate if you're ever out this way, we, we need to go fishing. It would be so much fun to share the boat with you again. I fished with Terry like over 10 years ago, but... Um, Dude, it would be awesome to uh, to fish with you sometime. So let us know if yeah, you're ever be, out west. Yeah, yeah uh, my sister-in-law lives in Phoenix, so uh, there's always the opportunity for us to go out there and, and visit her. And you guaranteed, if I'm out there, you'll be uh, getting a phone call from me. Please. Heck yeah, man. <laughs> the awesome. weather's beautiful. The fishing's not that great right now. but <laughs> <laughs> It's fishing, right? Yeah. yeah. All right, anything else for you, Terry, before you roll? No, not much. Uh, you know, just uh, that we got the YouTube channel up and running. And uh, of course, you know, follow us on Twitter and, and Facebook and, and all that stuff too. So appreciate you guys having me on again. Uh, it's always good to sit down and, and, and talk about, you know, the days of past. <laughs> Heck yeah, so, man. Very interesting, right, dude. Yep. Thanks. Thanks very much. We'll see you soon, Terry. Yeah. Have a good one, guys.